Hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome to New Valley Church. If you are newer to our church, we are especially glad that you have joined us this morning. Uh, as many of you know, we had hoped to be gathering in person with some of us at church today, but we were unable to do that. And I just want to stop and acknowledge that this is a very difficult thing for, for many of us. Uh, some of you have been indoors and quarantining for some time. Perhaps you're in a high-risk category, and this is just another layer of frustration. Uh, for many of my good friends, uh, people educating children at home and have been stuck indoors. They already were doing home education uh, as we ended the school year, and now we've been stuck indoors, and it's hot, and it's Arizona, and now the, the schools have pushed back uh, several weeks. And so there's a lot of uncertainty, I know. There's a lot of frustration as well. And today, as we open up God's Word and turn to Matthew 5, we're starting a new series. I think there's a lot here that will speak to us. But there is a general sense in which God is calling us to endure. And Jesus never promised us that life on earth would be easy, uh, but he did promise that he's overcome the world. And in this world, you will have trouble. But he has promised that he's overcome it, and he's with us, and he will strengthen us. And so as we begin our new series today, let's stop and let's pray, and let's ask God to give us a sense of his peace and his power and endurance. Let's pray together. Father, we pray today as we open up your word and as we look to see what you have to say to us, that you would strengthen us. And for my friends and brothers and sisters who are struggling um, to have hope in this moment, I pray for, for the power of your spirit to encourage. Would you give us the power to endure? the strength to continue, the faith to believe, the hope knowing that you're with us, that you have not forsaken us or left us. And I pray, God, that you would meet us here now in this moment and speak through me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. You are our rock. You are our salvation. We ask this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Well, for the next several weeks, we're in a series called Light for Darkness. And we're looking at some metaphors that we find in the Bible uh, for the church. And every single week at New Valley and many churches like our church, what we want to do is become a people that are becoming shaped more and more and more, not by the stories and the kingdoms of this world, but instead by the biblical story and by the kingdom of God. Increasingly, as you follow Jesus, you want to see your life being more and more and more shaped by the right story. Because the truth is, all of us are being shaped by narratives, by worldviews, by stories. And the reality is, no matter how mature of a Christian you are, we are all co-opting other stories that are not the biblical story. We have all syncretized the stories that we're believing, and we're being shaped by various stories. And so it's important for us to critique in our own hearts as individuals, but also as the people of God as a whole, and ask ourselves, what story are we believing? Throughout this series, we're going to look at a few things. For example, a light for darkness, a community for the lonely, a family for orphans, a table in the wilderness, and a kingdom for exiles. Those are just some of the, the images and the pictures that we'll be looking at in this series. And today we'll be looking, as you know from the passage that we read, a light for darkness and also the call to be salt. 
Two things I want us to see from our passage this morning. The first thing is this, a disciple's heart and then a disciple's influence. Heart and influence. First, the heart. Jesus uh, has been healing people, of course, in his ministry and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And as he's doing so, uh, the crowds begin to flock around him. And in this instance, in Matthew 5, he takes his disciples and other close followers of his, and it's probably a good-sized crowd, certainly more than just the 12, perhaps. And he goes up onto the mount, and he begins to preach and teach them. And he begins this sermon with something that's called the Beatitudes, And the Beatitudes comes from a Latin word which means beatus, which means beautiful or happy or blessed. And in this section, Jesus maps out and gives us a list of attributes for people that he says are blessed. And he says this, the poor in spirit are blessed. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because they shall be comforted. He says, the meek are blessed. They will inherit the earth. The merciful are blessed because they will receive mercy. The pure in heart are blessed because they'll see God. The peacemakers are blessed. They'll be called sons of God. And the persecuted are blessed. Theirs is the kingdom of God, Jesus said. These are the blessed people, Jesus says, the the poor and the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart, peacemakers, and the persecuted. But what would we say about such people? Would we call those the blessed people of our society, the mournful, the poor, the downtrodden, uh, the meek, the mild, the timid, not the people in power? Are those the blessed? But Jesus says they are. The persecuted even are among the blessed. If we were to create a list of attributes in our own culture and say these are the blessed people, we would say things like blessed are the popular people for the famous people, the celebrities, for theirs is the kingdom of Insta and Snapchat and Facebook and, and, and fame. We would say blessed are the beautiful ones, the handsome, the strongs, theirs is the kingdom of adoration. Blessed are the rich, blessed are the powerful, for theirs is the kingdom of Wall Street and Washington and the marketplace. But Jesus says, follow me, come up to the mountain today and listen to my words. Sit down and let me define for you my values, my story, what I value above all things. Let that shape you more than what the kingdoms of this world are saying to you. And so church, for us to listen today, and and many of you have heard this passage over and over and over. If you grew up in church, you've heard about being salt and light in Sunday school and various sermons. You've heard this over and over, but would you stop today if you've been in the church and listen with fresh ears? And if you're newer to church, and many of you are, you get to listen perhaps for the first time and hear Jesus' words about being salt and light. What would it take for you to truly have a blessed life? Because Jesus is talking about that. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. What would you have to have in place in your life for you to say, I'm blessed? Not just hashtag blessed, but like truly believe it, really mean it. Is it money? Is it power? Is it influence? Is it popularity? Is it physical beauty that opens the door to have a good life? 
Is it having a family? Is it being married? What is it? All these things surely help at some level, clearly, to have your physical health, to have money enough to afford the things that you need, to have, uh, we all want to be attractive at some level. All these things help at some level, but there's a sense in which no matter how blessed you are in any one of these areas, that we're always longing for something more, looking for something more. We move on to the next thing constantly. Many of us are blessed, but yet have come to find confidence to say, this is enough. I'm blessed. So today, let's redefine our lives around what he values, what he is saying is good. And think about that as he calls us to be people of salt and light. The next thing is this, a disciple's influence, salt and light. Large crowds are gathering around Jesus, as you know, and as I just mentioned, these disciples have gathered to listen to him to teach. And among that crowd, even though they're all Jewish by birth and the same ethnicity, there is some diversity in terms of their background. Several of them, as you know, among the 12 are fishermen. One of them is a tax collector. And if you've heard this story before, you know that that means they were a traitor. They were somebody that had worked for the Roman Empire, collecting taxes for the Jewish people, and then putting another tax on top of their own people in order to get paid. And so they were counted as traitors. Also in that same group was a zealot, somebody that was committed to killing the traitors. And so you have this diverse group of people gathered together with Jesus, and he says to them, this unlikely group, none of them are religious leaders. None of them are pastors at this point. None of them are the shepherds of Israel. They're just common folks like you and me. And Jesus says to them, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And everyone in that crowd and every one of us can readily relate to that image of salt and of light. Salt and light. And John Stott, the great theologian and pastor and author, says this. In both of these metaphors of salt and light, Jesus teaches about the responsibilities of Christians, those who follow Jesus, in a non-Christian or sub-Christian or post-Christian society. And friends, I think it should be obvious to us at this point that that is where we find ourselves. For just a minute, let's stop with this quote and let me talk about this for a second. We are living in a time in the United States that is now post-Christian, sub-Christian. It's no longer the majority. And that, that means there's a focus in which we now need to have that maybe is different perhaps than the past. He emphasizes the difference between Christians and non-Christians, between the church and the world. And he emphasizes the influence Christians ought to have on the non-Christian environment. The, The distinction, he writes, between the two is clear. Jesus literally tells these disciples, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. But there is a warning implicit in his teaching where he says this, if The salt loses its flavor, he says. It's no better than the dust on the road in which they're traveling. You're the light of the world, he says. But you would never take light and hide it. Instead, you raise the light 
You lift it up to a high place in the house so that the entire room can be illuminated. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, Jesus says. Let your light shine, he says, so that people in darkness may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And Jesus has said this right on the heels of this description of what the blessed life is and looks like. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who, and so forth. And he's saying, if my followers, if you cease to be poor in spirit, if you cease to be pure in heart and hungering and thirsting from righteousness, you lose your saltiness. And my boys use that phrase now saying somebody's salty and that's meaning that they're grumpy or they're, they're angry. And that's not what he means, obviously, in this passage. When you lose your saltiness, you lose your influence, your taste, the, 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 the fact that we're adding flavor to the people around us. If you seek to be meek and humble and merciful and the type of people who forgive their enemies, you, seek, you cease to be the light of the world that Christ says that we must be. John Stott goes on to say this, For effectiveness, Christians must maintain Christ-likeness. As salt must retain its saltness, the influences of Christians in and on society depends on their being distinct and not identical. Friends, we are in the midst of a global pandemic. And let's talk about that world global for a second. That, that means, of course, that the entire world is experiencing something together. So this is a unique time in the history of the world, it, certainly in our lives, where there's a common experience around the entire world, and we're facing a disease, a virus. There's coming a day, especially I, I want to speak to you younger, younger folks and students and kids even in the kids' ministry. Listen, there's coming a day when you're my age or older where your kids and your grandkids are going to ask you, what was it like in the days of COVID? Just like I used to ask my grandparents, what was it like to be in World War II? What was it like to serve during that time? What was it like during the Great Depression? There's coming a day when our family members will ask us, what was it like? And I want us to reflect on how we're behaving and what we're believing and what we're feeling in this moment so that when we speak of this someday, when you speak to your children and we speak to your grandchildren about what it was like in the days of COVID, that we might be able to say it was difficult and it was challenging. But in that moment, God met us and shaped us and changed us. And that we were able as the body of Christ, as the church in the, the people of God in the world at that moment to become salt and to become light. But the reality, and one of my gravest concerns as a pastor, and I'm not just speaking about New Valley at this point, but the church in general right now, my grave concern is that when people experience Christians in our culture and our society today, if they are not a Christian, and when they experience Christians, that they don't walk away saying, that person is salt to me. That person is light to me. But instead, the common theme that we hear over and over and over, and there's three phrases that I'll say, and you know probably where I'm headed right now. Instead, they feel judgment. 
They experience self-righteousness and they see hypocrisy. We are called to be salt. We are called to be light. What is this global pandemic revealing about ourselves right now? What is it showing us? How can we be salt and light in the middle of this moment? And as we've been dealing with a global pandemic, right in the middle of it, God in his providence has allowed us to, to see within ourselves as a culture also issues of racism and political divisiveness and social media, which is such a gift and a blessing on the one hand, but such a, a horrific thing on the other. As we see divisiveness and we see Christians, every time I'm on social media, I usually turn my computer or my phone off a bit discouraged by what I've seen coming from the voice and the hand and the writing of followers of Jesus. Failing to be salt, failing to be light. We are impatient, are we not, in this moment? We can admit it. We're fed up with this virus in the middle of all this, we're having to look in the mirror and say, Lord, what is this showing me about myself? What is this showing me about the people of God in this moment? Church, as we wrestle with these metaphors of salt and light, ask yourself, are we the church, the body of Christ in America? Are we being salt? Are we light to this world? If so, how? And if not, Why? When the followers of Jesus exhibit the character of the Beatitudes that Jesus has been talking about, they're being salt. I love watching cooking shows um, online, and I've, I don't watch a ton of them, but there's a few that I do. And I love watching great chefs work. And when a great chef is at work, they always have right next to them uh, a thing of salt and a thing of pepper. It's, it's the most common seasonings that they use in everything. They put it in almost everything. Salt, fat. Acid, heat, sugar, these are the backbones of making something taste really, really good. And when people draw close enough uh, to us to be in our lives, to experience us, they ought to walk away if we are the salt of the earth saying to themselves, there's something about that person that is flavorful. There's something that draws me to them that wants more of them in my life. Salt. Salt is also a preservative, as you know, and in this culture, they would use it to keep meat from rotting and, and, and becoming uh, useless. And just this week, interestingly enough, when I got back from vacation, some of us were at the church building getting ready uh, to record for this week, and in the front door, someone had left some gifts for the church, uh, assuming to distribute to others, and there were a bunch of dry goods, which is great, we can use that, but somebody also left a couple bags of meat <laughs> by the front door, assuming, I guess, that uh, someone would be there to get it quickly, but we weren't. And so after a couple days, as you can imagine what that was like, us, we had to take this meat to the trash can. It had rotted. It was horrible. And in our society, what Jesus is saying is the church is to supposed to preserve, uh, be a preservative in such a way that the world doesn't experience this rotting or decay to the same level because the church is being so much like Jesus that there's a, a, a beautiful preservation from the experience of death and decay. My eyes are super sensitive to light and have been since I was a kid. And uh, 
sometimes, especially with newer cars, with the, the extremely bright lights, it's too much and it, I have to, to look away. We're called to flavor life and flavor relationships like salt to preserve and to provide a warm glow, like a city on a hill, beautifully illuminating, like a lamp in a home, providing warm light to illuminate the room so that people can see and, and have life. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 13, in the same way, let your shine, light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. That they may see our good deeds, that they may see our good works. We know that we're not made right with God on the basis of our good works, but when we come to know the grace of God in our life, we demonstrate those good works because of love and gratitude for God and what he's done for us in Jesus. What kind of good deeds would draw people in and cause people in our city to say, those people are salt, those people are light. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, And the reality is this, that the very first step, we say this a lot at New Valley, that the very, very first step in becoming a follower of Jesus is to admit your spiritual impoverishment. And it's not only the very first step of following Jesus, it's actually also the millionth step of following Jesus. Remaining a faithful Christian to the end would would require us to remember our own spiritual impoverishment on our own. The key to unlocking the door to salvation is faith, and part of saving faith is repentance, to own the fact that you have rebelled against God, that you don't deserve his salvation, that you don't deserve grace. You can't deserve grace. Grace is given to those who don't deserve it. That you, you realize that God has demonstrated mercy and grace and love. And when we live in that and own that and have that as our central identity, it becomes so much easier to live as salt and light among the people that we know and we love. As Jesus teaches us to be salt and light, the light must be lifted to shine And the salt must remain salty to add flavor and to stop decay. And we know, we know that Christians are supposed to be different. But the thing I want us to see from this passage is this, that Christians are also meant to make a difference. We're not only supposed to be different and have people say like, oh, they are different, but also to make a difference, to have the love that we have for God lead us to action, as James says. The point is for the body of Christ to actually influence, to change the lives of those around us, to be light, to be salt. And again, if I'm honest, I have a great concern as a whole about the church in America. I'm not sure the church in America right now tastes that much different or is that flavorful to the people in our culture. And the batteries in our flashlight seem really dim. It feels as if our light is diminished, and at times, perhaps, we're only adding to the darkness. 
So when people think of Christians, they don't think about people who are moved by the grace and the love of God, uh, who just can't help but be joyful in serving their neighbor and loving their city well. And, and, and instead, they often experience what we described earlier, self-righteousness. They think of politics. They think of judgment. They think of hypocrisy. David Cassidy is a pastor in our denomination. He pastors a church in Franklin, Tennessee called Christ Community Church. And I read uh, something he wrote recently, and he said this, take a poll in any major U.S. city and ask, tell me the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word evangelical. And I know that's a loaded term, but that word evangelical literally means someone who's of the gospel. That word evangel is a Greek word, and it, comes, it means gospel. It means good news. And we've lost any power in the meaning of that word. Take a poll. Ask anyone in any large U.S. city. Tell me the city. Tell me the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word evangelical. And he asked this: Is the first response going to be Jesus? Not likely. He says evangelicals have buried the lead in partisan politics. It's time to change. Friends, as we are called to be salt and light in a dire, dire moment, right? This is a dire moment in our world and in our nation. In my life, I cannot remember a time where I would say that our nation is more divided, where there's more angst, where there's more uh, anger towards one another. Now, more than ever, we need to be salt. We need to be light, to be the kind of people that when people experience us, they say that person is filled with a love of Jesus Christ to to the extent that they're I may not even agree with their religion. I may not even agree with what they believe. But instead, I am drawn to them strangely because they have so much grace and mercy and love in their life because of this man that they say is named Jesus. And they believe some crazy stuff. They believe this guy rose from the dead. That's insane. Who does that? But they believe that. And it seems to be changing the way that they live. They believe in a coming kingdom. They're weirdos. They believe that there's this citizenship that's not just found here. It's found in the kingdom of God. And this kingdom is coming again. Uh, Back in that the earth is going to be made new. And that there's going to be a new city of God and a new heaven and a new earth. They believe this kind of thing. And they're filled with love of Jesus more than anything else. Oh, that That's what people in our neighborhoods and cities and coffee shops and gyms and all the places that we'll get back to someday would experience. It's 2020. Coronavirus is hitting us again very hard. None of us expected to be in this moment so soon. I I really expected, honestly, perhaps in the fall or or maybe uh, in the winter for this to return with such strength. But quickly... It's back, and I know we're frustrated. Some of you are feeling hopeless. Some of you are feeling scared. And I just want to remind us this morning, and whenever you're watching this online, we worship and have centered our lives around a man that we believe has raised from the dead. And his resurrection was not simply for himself. It was the conquering of sin and of death and everything that's broken and wrong with this world. 
We believe that. We are attaching our identity to that. We hope in that. We are trying to shape our lives around that. And every one of us does so incompletely, but we are living into that more and more and more, wanting to see our lives reflect that hope. We worship a man who rose from the dead. And this is, in a sense, our moment as the people of God in the world, not just in Phoenix, but in the world in this moment, to reflect that hope. We believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he will come again to, lo- to judge the living and the dead and that he will be bringing with him a new heaven and a new earth and the kingdom of God and its fruition. And because we believe in that, think of the resource that we have over discouragement in this moment. Think of the resource we can have when we're frustrated with mask wearing, and I actually wear my mask and I do so out of love for my neighbor and, and, and gladly and joyfully in terms of like wanting to serve in that way. But here's how I'm annoyed with mask wearing. It's not because I have to wear a mask, but it itches and it's irritating and it's hot. We live in Arizona. And I've been trying to remind myself as I'm wearing this thing is to say, I believe in a man who rose from the dead. This, this moment is annoying and this is all frustrating and it's hot and, and I just want it to be over, but we believe in a man who rose from the dead. We believe in a God who suffered in enormous suffering so that we might be saved. And a God who did not promise us comfort and riches in this life, but instead he said, in this world you'll have trouble, but I have overcome the world. Jesus is our king. Jesus is our hope. What does this say to us? What resource we have for fear in this moment? What resources we have over frustration, over anger, over divisiveness? Friends, we're called to salt. We're called to light. We're called to be those things. I want to ask you to really check your own life and your own heart. And I want us to check ourselves as the people of God, as a community. What does God need to be doing in our lives and our heart to make us reflect more and more that we are salt and light to a lost and decaying world? And friends, certainly it means this. At bare minimum this week and really every day of our lives, this is what it should look like. But would you meditate on God's word? Right now, we have perhaps more time than we might normally. Would you take time to reflect on God's word, to meditate on God's word, to to read God's word, to pray, and then to not only read it then, but then to act on what you're reading, to be salt and light. And I want you also to be thinking in this week, in these coming days, what is God calling me to do right now? Perhaps it's, it's not something you should only do. Perhaps it's something you need to stop doing. If you're a part of the divisiveness that's going on in social media, being salt and light would be to stop and to repent. If you're reflecting anger and, and, and only bringing anger and resentment into a dialogue with, con- with neighbors and friends, and perhaps repentance is, is the place to start and to stop doing the things you ought not to do and then to begin to do those things that you ought to do, which is to reflect the hope and the joy and the love and the peace and the patience and kindness and goodness of the fruit of the Spirit that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Friends, we're salt, and I just want to admit to you, I am far from perfect in this moment. 
And I, I too am falling under the weight of the conviction that we are called to be salt and light and that we do believe these things about this man, Jesus Christ. We worship the man, Jesus Christ, who robbed death and rose from the dead. What a powerful resource we have in this moment. So church, pray with me as we continue in our series about being the people of God and reflecting these beautiful images from the Bible. That New Valley, other churches like us in this city, and around the world would reflect God's glory, that we may see people change and begin to have their attitudes change. They may see our good deeds and glorify our Father who's in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we, we cannot pray right now without bringing a great deal of repentance and asking for your forgiveness for all the ways in which we failed to be salt and light to people who desperately need it. We are the recipients of grace, and yet we have been so filled with righteous indignation that's not very righteous, it's self-righteous, Father. We have been hypocritical. We have not loved our neighbors well. We have failed to love and, and to reflect the goodness of Jesus, that people don't hear Jesus enough on our voice and our lips, that they hear so many other things, so many other worldviews that are shaping us, but Father, would you help your church to become more and more shaped and formed by your story and what you've done through your son. We pray that that would begin in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own church. We ask in Jesus' good name. Amen.